To see examples of what we talked about on this episode, along with further information, go to bunchofdorks.com. Welcome, everyone, to... Two Dimension Podcast. The comic book podcast... With no direction. What's up, everybody? You know the song, you know this voice. It's your boy Rook, and sitting right next to me in person, it's the guy who keeps everything going, Mr. Don Moore. Sort of going, sort of going. Hey, it's good to see you, by the way. <laughs> it's good to see you too, Don. I mean, this is great actually having you in person. Yeah, and be able to let you see my chaos. <laughs> it's not. He always says chaos. It's not chaos. It's a. It's a house being used and lived in, and it's awesome. I. I've, we've been here for about an hour talking about stuff, and uh, too bad we didn't record it because you would have really enjoyed it. But it's not chaotic; it's it's wonderful. Yep. Except you couldn't find your speaker when you were working outside. <laughs> no, because I literally ADD'd right past it. Yeah. I just walked right past it, going, "Where is that? I don't I don't see it." Oh wait, there it is, right there, right my, in front my of my wife. Face. Always, I'm, I I misplaced something. I'm trying to find it. And, you know, the thing is, if it's not where you you think it is, you don't know where it is, yeah. and you're walking around, and it's aggravating. And I'll say, have you seen such and such? And it's always the same thing. I thought I was the one with the bad memory. It's not a bad memory. I misplaced the thing. <laughs> you know, I don't do this to you. You want to hear a good one? So, I, I, I carry these cups. I carry the, the thermal insulated cups all the time. Got I'm out in the wood shop one day. And I'm working on stuff and everything, right? And I come inside, and I was like, oh, I forgot my cup. I walk out there, search the shop, could not find it. For the next two weeks, I go without this cup because I just can't find this thing. My wife literally walks into the shop after hearing me complain that I couldn't find it. Walks right up to the workbench where I had just put down a tape measure right in front of the cup. Well, <laughs> if it's a snake, it would have bit you. That's oh, yeah. what, that was the saying we always said. Everybody does it. Yep, it's just it's it's just funny. I mean, the you you don't call it chaos, but I call it chaos. That's why I've been trying to organize. As you see, I've got the comic collection back out here in the back room again. Yeah. Beautiful five drawer lateral filing cabinets, just chock full, <laughs> so full that I actually have to purge. Yeah, that's a hard one. It is, especially when you bring me all these amazing comics. Oh, yeah. It's uh, upcoming. <laughs> That's upcoming, so we can't talk about that. <laughs> yeah. but, but, well, I was wanting to start this off. You sent me a show on Netflix. Because ah, it was like Astro Boy. Yeah, that's what the preview said. And, um, I never saw Astro Boy as a kid. I knew of it. Uh, my family, we moved to Denver, Colorado when I turned five. Right. And I only lived in Denver for about a year. And to me, it was the most wonderful time. I really remember that city with great fondness. But it really changed my life in a way. And I, it's a silly thing to say, but it was the cartoons they showed. Yeah. They um, After we moved there, I was watching the show Gigantor, the giant robot with the, the yeah. boy with the remote control. Absolutely. Uh, it fascinated me. In the style, the big eyes, I just thought, well, this, this is neat. After that, they had another show, which I, I love, called Marine Boy. 
These are all on a black and white TV. Turns out Marine Boy was in color. I got the DVDs nice. and, uh, recently. But it was a boy that chewed oxy gum and could breathe underwater like Aquaman. And he had a boomerang. And he chewed oxy gum? Oxy gum. His father invented. And he, uh, he had a suit. He was with the Ocean Patrol, which was little submarines that could fly that patrolled the ocean to protect the sea lanes. Right. There was a dolphin named Splasher, which was... You know, kind of his pet sidekick. There was a mermaid named Tina, who I thought was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And, um, you know, it was just a great show. But the one that blew my mind, and it's been my favorite show ever since, was Prince Planet. Mm-hmm. And um, yep. I, it was a boy that had a medallion with a P on it. And he would hold, uh, he'd hold it, and he'd say... I thought it was P Lego, but what he was saying is was something about P Kazawi or something. But when he do that, it's showing transform, and mm-hmm. they'd show like a a reverse skeleton in him that have all these ray bolts, and he'd have this costume with a helmet with like a Roman crest on the top, and he could do anything. He could fly. He could shoot beams out of that thing. Um, he could convert like a fountain pen into a spaceship. You know, it was like Green Lantern, you know. Nice, yeah. But it was just the most imaginative cartoon. And his main nemesis was a character named Warlock, who had this really bizarre voice, like the Chief Blue Meanie on um, on the Yellow Submarine, or he, uh, him on Powerpuff Girls. He was scary. Anyway, it was an imaginative cartoon, it always stayed with me. Um, I only saw it when I was five. Never saw it again. Yeah. We moved to Oklahoma City after that. And every time I talk about it, people just look at me blankly like, you're insane. I never heard of that. <laughs> and um, when the Macintoshes, when we started using those in graphics, you'd have a little power bar, you know, showing it was computing. And yep. it'd just be this, it'd be white and the black would be moving along. Yep. All I thought was Prince Planet, because his P would run out of energy and it'd be white. And the planet he came from radio, this boy needs energy. And they'd pull the switch, and all of a sudden the P would be white, and the black bar would be going up, you know, loading. Oh, it would be like a loading bar. (laughs) So, you know, like I said, it just permeated everything. And the reason I'm talking about this was I found out on the Internet Archive, they have 51 episodes. There was 52 episodes. One of them's missing. And they're really good quality. Now, I've found people that sold me um, DVDs they made, but it's off videotape off the TV show. Right. Really, I mean, I yeah. appreciate them, but they're hard to watch. They're bouncy. Yeah, low and, quality, you know. bouncy. And, uh, but these on Internet Archive, they're nice. I, I know it was on Hulu when Hulu was free because I watched a couple on the computer. All right, huh? Anyway, I, I put them on a, a jump drive, stuck them on the USB in the back of the TV. And I think I watched 11 episodes yesterday, which is funny because I just can't stand to sit at the TV anymore. You know, I'll watch it a bit and then I get up. But anyway, massive. So when you sent me this Netflix show that you said reminded you of Astro Boy, the only the way I knew Astro Boy was we lived in Colorado. I was at some little convenience store. And in the candy, they had little bubble gum with tattoos, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. it was Astro Boy. And so I looked like Prince Planet. 
And he had the jets for the feet. And I yep. thought, well, that's kind of neat. How does he walk? <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's the only way I knew Astro Boy. Now, you'd always see, you know, pictures of Astro Boy as time went on. I knew of him, but I'd never seen the show. And um, well, like I said, until they did that 90s or 2000 movies in CGI, which... But anyway, Prince Planet, it's funny how something you only see for probably a year... <laughs> Yeah. It stayed with you. That's why I draw the way I draw is because of Prince Planet. That's yep. the kind of artwork I like to see. Yeah, um, that's where the inspiration comes from, you know? Oh yeah. That's um all the kids in the neighborhood, they'd always come after the show. Did you see Prince Planet? It's all we talk about, we play it. And I was telling my daughter, she was watching them with me yesterday. I can still sing sing the theme song. <laughs> and uh but um we were going to Texas. My mom, my aunt, one of my great aunts lived out there. And so there was a trip to Texas planned. When the episode would end, they'd always have a, you know, what was going to happen in the next episode. And they'd show it and there'd be a narrator telling you. And the episodes started with um, him on the ship. And they'd be doing a countdown. It has the, the head guy of the Galactic Force telling him, um, Oh, you got a, another minute. Would you like to say goodbye to your mother? And he goes, I've already said goodbye to my mother. And she gave me a photo that I have in the rocket ship. So it'd be redundant. <laughs> and then he's in the rocket ship. And he goes through a meteor storm. And it shows the, the ship shaking. And then the, the picture falls down and cracks. He goes, I just lost a picture of my mother. Which, you know, when you're five, that breaks your heart. Oh, you yeah. Know? And um, anyway... I watched Prince Planet the day before we left for Texas, and they showed the next episode, and his mother's there on Earth, and he runs up and he hugs her, and you know, like I said, he's a kid, so basically his head's that are, are around her waist, and she's hugging her, and she's hugging him back, and says, and he sees his mother, she's come to Earth, and then he goes, but she's in reality Warlock. And it shows the oh, mother. No. He doesn't know what he's hugging her. And then Warlock comes on with this devilish grin. Oh, no. What? I was freaking out. And then the next morning we're driving. And I'm thinking, how am I going to watch Prince Planet? I'm in the backseat. This is in the 60s, you know, yep. mid-60s. So we're driving. And I knew, you know, it's like you know what time it's going to be, even though you can't tell time. And when it was about the afternoon when school would get out, we're down, driving down this road. It's it's Colorado. So we're driving down this road that's elevated. And you go down, there's two valleys on each side. And there's these little tiny boxy houses which are really neat and manicured. Little backyards. They all had uh, TV antennas. They all had chimneys with smoke coming out of it. All had a clothesline in the back. I, it looked like a neat place to be. And you could see the lights on inside. It was, you know. And all I was thinking was, I wonder if I asked Mom and Aunt Johnny if we can... Uh, pull over and ask somebody if we can watch Prince Planet. Because you know, that's reasonable to a five-year-old. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I never did. But I'm looking, wishing I could go in those houses and watch Prince Planet. Never saw the episode. So I'm watching these off the, the jump drive thinking, God, I finally after, what was it, 57 years? <laughs> you get to see the conclusion? <laughs> I'll find out what happened. <laughs> I've been waiting 57 years for this. <laughs> And you find out the next episode's the missing one. 
Yeah, but you know, it was funny because when every episode my daughter and I watch this, it one, it's a blast when you watch it with your kid, you know. Yeah. And I was telling Rook earlier, it says a lot of times I'll tell Holly about something now. And when she's younger it was different. She was always mesmerized by it, but well, except for um the Dark Crystal. That's one she didn't like. Oh, and Planet of the Apes. Yeah. How do you not like Dark Crystal? <laughs> oh my goodness. But Usually she just has no interest and goes on. But this one, she was, you know, we were talking and watching it, but I was amazed how vividly I remember every scene, every episode. I mean, not yeah. everything perfect. There's certain things. But that, yeah, there's you know, part, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's just clear as it could be. And I was like, yeah, God, it's, it's all, it's funny how one thing resonates with you so much it in is. your life. Well, you know, it, it's funny you say that, um, I actually found the Dungeons and Dragons uh, 80s cartoon online. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Well, I started watching it again. And I realized, like, the light bulb went off. Now, anybody listening, you've heard me talk about Dungeons and Dragons, been playing for years, da-da-da-da. Well, I realized that I had a ton of these toys as a little kid. Yeah. Before I comprehended what Dungeons and Dragons was... I had a bunch of the toys. I had the castle. I had hmm. uh, all these different figures and everything. And it's not. And it's through watching the cartoon that I'm watching, and I'm like, "Hey, I remember that guy. I had that toy, <laughs> you know." And then, like, I start researching the toys and stuff, and I'm like, "Oh my god! Like, yeah, I remember these all very clearly, very vividly, you know." Yeah. And we're talking about like I was four and five. Yeah. Just the other day. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, just the other day. But, you know, I mean, this is like 40 years ago, and yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here going, wow, I remember all this. It, it, it's so wild how vivid the, the memory can be at times. Well, they're memory triggers. Yeah, I absolutely. Never, I never thought about that till, um, you know, prizes and cereal boxes. Oh, know? man, yeah. My favorite thing. But when I was a kid... It was rare if you got cereal that didn't have a prize in it. And, um, yep. And they weren't... They weren't licensed. Usually they weren't licensed things. They were like you get a plastic farm animal. Or, right, yeah. It was something really you know, kind of, you know... By today's toy standards, right. it was cheese. But they, um... They'd have, um... Little snap-together models. You know, of like, um... A train, you know, a truck or something like yeah. that. But my favorites was, um, it was an Applejacks in, I think, 1968. They had crater creatures. It was eight of them. And they were little aliens. It showed them on the moon, little plastic things. And I just thought those were the greatest things in the whole planet. And, um... I eventually got them all, but, you know, you'd play with them, so you never had the whole set, yep. you know. And you kept getting the same one, and you trade them with your friends. Oh, uh, yeah. But those were absolutely the greatest. And then um, later they had, um, again, an Applejack's Daffy Dogs. There was eight dogs, but the dog, there was a Greyhound, but he was dressed like a jockey. There was a, a boxer. Of course, he was a boxer. Of you know course. what I mean? There yep. was a Chihuahua that was dressed as a Mexican bandito. And, um... I absolutely loved them. My cousin loved them. And then they had um, 
funny fringes, which was hard to collect because it was 16. Holy cow. But they were the neatest looking aliens. They were always my favorites. But, oh, and tule birds. That was in um, Fruit Loops. Tule birds were birds that looked like tools. There was Screech Owl Screwdriver. There was um, Wren Wrench. Oh, that's cool. There was Dodo Drill. And um, I had some of those. I never got all of them. I wanted Dodo Drill the most because it was an electric drill and his tail was a plug. I thought that was the neatest thing in the world. Oh, they, that's awesome. And, um... Yeah, they were. Those were the ones. Anyway, I had some. I still have some. They're, they're you know, like there's little kids that they've been played with immensely. But in 2004, I was working 70 hours a week for, you know, all of 2004 and the first part of 2005. So I'm always at work. I didn't have time to do anything. So I started going on eBay. And I started looking these things up, kind of find out the moles. Yeah. Yeah, tule birds. Wow. But they went to um, the moles. Some of the moles went to Mexico, and they were putting them out. And I started buying sets on eBay. I oh, got the really? tule birds. I got um, the daffy dogs. I got the uh, the funny fringes. Here's another one that drove me insane. I knew these were from the same people. My brother and I would always get Cracker Jacks. Cracker Jacks always had a prize. Right. One time my friend got a box of Cracker Jacks and he got this little, little pink guy. He was a square with a face with a buck tooth, arms and legs, and he had a, a TV antenna on top of his head. I thought, well, that's really cool. It looked like these stuff I'm telling you about. Well, my brother got four different ones over, over a year. I never got one. And then my cousin had one. Now, what are they? they were little flat ones, but I thought, what are these? And a friend of mine gave me one. It was um, uh, some kind of creature with a tail, and his nose was a horn. He's blowing the horn, and he's holding his ears, you know, you know, plugging his ears. Oh, yeah, he's plugging it, yep. And I kept thinking, I know it's from the same people. Well, anyway, I looked it up. There's a book. They're from Australia. It was a company called R&L, Rosenheim and Lippmann that did the cereal premiums. And they did a lot of the model kits we were talking about that came in cereal boxes. But um, I was asking, I, I started finding sites. And one guy wrote a book called, um, I can't remember, I think it was Breakfast Barons and Cereal Critters or something like that. I bought the book. I sent him the money. He sent me the book. This guy, it was it was dense. He had the whole history of how they figured out cereal and how the prizes started coming in. And um, then another writer out of Australia wrote a book about searching for kingly critter, which is one of the crater creatures. So I got that book. And basically his story, he was a music journalist. And he was at a Trivial Pursuit night, and somebody on their windowsill had those, those toys. And he said, I hate to say it, but I screamed like a little girl. <laughs> well, how could you not? And he said, um, what was it? He asked the guy where he got them. There was a, a collectible store in Australia, in town. So he went to that, and he started getting the, the, the stuff. Anyway, he wrote a book. He was interviewing people. There was, I think it was a rapper down. Uh, he got a record contract. He was making his first album. And he saw that store that stuff in the window and he said he was more excited about going there and getting those figures than recording his first album which is something yeah anyway 
they started interviewing um, a lot of these were designed by a, a English cartoonist called Harry Hargraves, I think. And I don't know, it was the whole history of the stuff. Um, but when I was buying these on eBay, I'm always at work. So I would bring them in and I would, you know, I'm a man in my 40s at this time. <laughs> and I'm sitting at, at the desk and I'm, I'm lining them up in front of my computer. And then when I get off work, I'd put them in the bag and go back. It made me happy, but everybody kept coming around. Man, those are neat. And, you know, you got some more. Yeah, you know, I had this yep. whole menagerie. And they would always talk about them. And one friend of mine came up and he said, you know, those are memory triggers. He says, you always have a really distinct memory. It's like instant recall. And I says, I was noticed about you. So you could you could tell me what how bright the sun was on the day we talked 15 years ago, which, you know. And he said, that's why. He says, because you have these things and you remember from your childhood, like, you know, the D&D figures you had. Yeah. And he said, um, and there was another site called, um, what was it? Um, the Museum of, Museum of Instant Memory, I think is what it's called. But the guy that wrote one of the books about these serial toys and another guy that, I don't know, he was some type of critic. But they were talking about um, memories. And you know, the serial toy guy, he had a little tackle box full of the, the stuff. And I remember the guy, the other guy was saying, these are really wonderful toys. And just because they were free makes them even stronger. Yeah. They're nice little sculptures. Well, the other guy, his, he had, you know, little cola bottles with cola in it. You can see yeah. the little cap. He had a Fanta Orange. He had a... Um, when you go to a theater, a nice theater, they have the, the number of your seat on the back of the... You yep. know, on a little metal tag. He has one of those. Because in Australia, the Beatles came and he saw the Beatles. And he said that was something kids would do. They'd pull off the... they pull the tag off Yeah, the, the metal tag, oh. which I'm sure the theater didn't like, but to remember it. Yeah. And he said... um. Oh, it's called House of Esqui... Esqui I can't say the word. Esquisic memory. See, I can't even talk now. But, yeah, they're memory triggers. Yeah. You know, um, and like I said, comic books. Most of the comics I have, I know where I got them. I know the store. I know if I rode my bike. Um, yep. I was talking to one guy on Facebook. I met the guy on MySpace. The guy out of New Zealand. And what I liked about his page, he had a lot of comic books, but they weren't key issues. They were just, you know, everybody has a pile of comics, and some of them aren't really the greatest comics, but they're comics you read. And they're comics got, that mean yeah. something to you, yeah. And um, we became friends. And MySpace was kind of hard sometimes to keep a conversation, you know. And then MySpace kind of went away. I went to Facebook. And at one point, there was some guy that made a comment and uh, he had a different name than, you know, part, the first name was the same, but the last name, it was a cryptic name. It wasn't really his real name. But it, it was a comic site, and he was commenting to some writer. And I sent him a message. It says, on MySpace, I knew a so-and-so. Is that you? And he yes, it's me, and we became friends. Well, he posts one of my favorite comics. It's an Avengers comic. And it's um, basically about the Black Panther. But 
I love the artwork. And um, Bob Brown drew it. Dave Cockrum, one of my favorite artists, inked it. And so it looked like Dave Cockrum. And I had Claw from the Fantastic Four. Uh, and um, it just resonates. And anyway, this guy wrote this whole thing about it, had it, and talk, basically talking about the memory triggers of where you were. And then I made a comment about it when I got the book and how much I loved it. And it's always been, to this day, one of my favorite issues. And he got excited and he said, Don, this is, uh, where did you get it? When did you get it? You remember? Like the back of my hand. I was at the municipal pool. <laughs> uh, me and wow. my, yeah, I, I always meet my friends. They lived on the, there was a, in Oklahoma city, there's a main road called May Avenue. It'd be like 19 over here. Yeah. I lived on one side of May Avenue. Most of my friends, all of my friends lived on the other side of May Avenue. And that pool was on the other side of May Avenue, but it was a it was a good bike ride for all of us. Right. But I'd meet my friends at the municipal pool. We'd spend the whole, you know, you go in the morning, you pay your 50 cents. This is how long ago it was. And you'd be there all day long till oh, they yeah. closed the pool. And I have a towel. I'm in a swimsuit. I don't have anything else. And I ride my bike. And before I got across May Avenue, there was a convenience store called Shop and Go. I stopped there. I bought that comic book. And I bought a, a long cellophane pack of fruit-flavored candy-coated bubble gum, which I'd never seen before. And I said, well, I like it had three colors. That looks kind of good. So I got that. Rode my bike home. By this time, I'm dry. I'm laying on my swimsuit. You know, I'm a kid. Laying on the couch, reading that comic, and chewing candy-coated fruit-flavored bubblegum. I can still taste it. Yep. I smell like chlorine. <laughs> you know, when you swim, you feel good and relaxed, you know, but you're really tired. And I remember I read that book, stopped. It was just like, oh, my God. And I read it like three, three times. Yeah. And I had that thing memorized down to my pores. And when I was telling him that, he got excited, and he starts telling about, he uh, he rode his bike to the milk bar. I guess the milk bar would be a convenience store in New Zealand, maybe. But he was telling me somewhat the same kind of story. And, you know, it's, it's Oklahoma and New Zealand, long ways away. Yeah. But um, kind of the same story. He got some kind of a, a suite, you know, and did it. Memory triggers. So anyway, I, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because like when we talk uh, when we talk about uh, the toys and stuff in cereal boxes, it, it sets a, a trigger off in my head. What I remember was cereal boxes later in the '80s started doing the whole like mail in so many yeah. and you get a toy. And they did that in the '60s too. Did they? Yeah. yeah, it was it was super annoying. I never got any of those toys. So like. Oh, we always, tr my sister and I always tried to focus on the stuff that you had the toy in now. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. Instant gratification. But, like, moreover, it was Happy Meals. Yeah. Happy Meal toys were always, like, and I remember I had a whole array of McDonald's GoBot-esque uh, yeah. uh, toys. And, I mean, these were hollow-formed, vacuum-sealed plastic toys. I mean, they were nothing compared to, like, an actual Transformer or even a GoBot, right. a real GoBot. <clears throat> but I remember just, I had those things for years, years and years. Those, see, my daughter, 
she'd see the plastic figures. I'd even let her play with them. And um, when I started getting the book and started ordering those off eBay, she would um, I would I would have them on an end table. I would set them up an end table in the living room and kind of play with them. Yep. And then I go to go to karate and I come back, and they'd be moved around. Yep. And I said, uh, did you move these around? Yeah, they're fun. Well, that, that's fine. A couple of times I came home when Holly was at the school with me, and they're moved around again. It was my wife who. <laughs> You know, she's that was never part of her culture growing up, but she said they're neat. Yeah. Well, Holly would always tell me, you know, it was neat growing up in the '60s, and you know, I'd find old old cereal commercials. You know, Quisp, Captain Crunch, Quake—they were all done by Jay Ward, who did Bullwinkle. Yep. And um, she'd always see when I grew up as a magical time, and it was. But I, I'd have to tell her, you know, she'd always bring up the cereal toys. She did get them. They still have them sometimes. Oh, yeah, you know? they still do. But it wasn't the same. But I also told her, but baby, you get a lot of things, too. Happy Meal toys. Happy Meal toys are incredible. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't know. Now, so nowadays, now. some of this stuff is, is wild. <clears throat> I mean, well, heck, I've got a stack of the Halloween uh, pumpkin pails on my countertop yeah. right now because my wife... It's Halloween time. Gotta get them. <laughs> yeah, you, you guys are Halloween people. Oh, yeah. But, no, um, the Happy Meals, when those came out in the late 70s, it had the, you know, that little cardboard box, you know. Mm-hmm. But the toys were those alien erasers that you could get at school, you yep. know, sometimes. They weren't anything special. They were just random little things. I think it was in 87. It was Fraggle Rock. That was when McDonald's started getting their own custom Happy Meals. And I remember uh, I was at a Navy base in Jacksonville, Florida. And they had a, they started putting ba- uh, McDonald's on the base. And I went to eat. And they had one of those toys on the counter. I remember the girls that worked there, they'd kind of, when they take their order, they kind of move it around. They'd tease each other. Cause, it's so cute. It was. It was nice. Yeah. And then... um. My wife worked at a hair salon, and some kid left one. And my wife kept kind of, you know, she'd push it, you know, and she'd kind of play with it, and they were teasing her about it. And then later she asked if she, you know, everybody wanted it, she wanted to take it home. Well, she would admit, she says, anybody want this? And nobody did. She goes, do you mind if I take it? And they're teasing her. because it's neat. And yeah. We still have it in the house. Um, but the stuff Holly was getting, a lot of those... We go on car trips. She had a little padded bag that we kept them all in, and my dad was shocked. He goes, "Those are neat. They were neat." Yeah. And um, you know, some better than others, but yeah, Happy Meal toys. That's another one. Any generation, you can look back on. I was always amazed when my parents would talk about Nabisco shredded wheat. They used to be really big. You had to get them or break them up in your bowl, and they'd have little divider, cardboard dividers. And um, between each biscuit. Yep. And my parents, my dad would, um, no, my mom would talk about it. They had stories. So when you have breakfast, you get a separator. And my mom liked the scary ones, the shadow stuff really? like that. I didn't know that. And then my dad would always yell, "The Lone Ranger." They'd have the Lone Ranger, which my dad liked cowboys. But yeah, for, I don't. They started doing that, I guess, in the the forties or fifties. 
um, that wasn't a thing when I grew up. But uh, I've never even heard about the story dividers and uh, shredded wheat. That's interesting. But they had um, you know, movie serials. You know, Mom knew all the Buster Crab, Flash Gordons, all this stuff, which yep. I saw in Colorado on TV. <laughs> and um, you know, there was neat things that you always have in every generation. Oh yeah. And uh, but it's easy to look back in the past. I think that was better. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, uh, another thing that's funny is I think back to my childhood. Uh, do you remember when the milk jugs used to still have the plastic thing inside the handle? Yeah. 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 That was a huge prize for me as a kid. Really? Because it was a battleship. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know. And then uh, the the little thing to keep the pizza t- box from uh, hitting yeah. the pizza. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those were G.I. Joe uh, planning tables or my sister <laughs> would take them for Barbie tables. Or you know, I mean, the imagination of kids, you know, it's, yeah. and, and especially poor kids. I mean, we didn't exactly grow up with a lot. We grew up with yeah. everything my parents could give us, right? You know, but you know, growing up the way we did, we made toys out of anything. Well, so. that's what you know. I, I had stuff, but my favorite thing is exactly what you said: old discarded batteries. Yep. You know, you'd find stuff. Um, the serial toys. You know, you always had a little box of junk. Yep. But, yeah, it it, it could turn into something. Yeah. I actually ran across a, a group recently online uh, where people are taking, like, old vintage toys. Uh, mm. Especially what drew my interest to it was uh, somebody is repainting a Masters of the Universe Snake Mountain. And they're just doing, like, high-detail paint to it. It's really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, people are taking old vintage toys and, like, redoing them and, and, like, current paint and art styles and stuff. So, you know, it's it's really neat what people do, you know. Heck, I remember in this area that I live in, there used to be a car that had thousands of, like, these old toys attached to the car. Glued or or somehow attached to the car itself all over the body of it. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it was like the wildest thing. I remember, we're probably talking about like late 90s, yeah. this guy was running around town. <laughs> uh, never know Sweet. what you'll see in Florida. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're we're a unique sideshow. <laughs> yes, yep, that's for sure. <laughs> and on that note, let's have a music break. All right, we're back.
You can hear our most recent 20 episodes on iTunes. If you would like to hear our older episodes, you can find them on our blog. Just go to bunchofdorks.com and click, click on the Cyclops. Your Dimension can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe, rate, leave a review, tell a friend, or like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening. That was Joy Eater. It was a local band here in St. Petersburg, Florida. There's no more, but their recording lives on. There you go. There you go. So, um, I talked about this book in the past. I actually, I whined about the book in the past. Rook was just looking through it. It was Comics, from U- Comics for Ukraine. Um, they sent out a, a note, finally, and said that... Um, they were coming into California by ship. I don't know where they were printed up. But then he said, give us a couple weeks to process it. And then he said, oh, we'll be sending them out. And I got it the next week. And i tell you, I am so happy I got it. It has, um, to me, it was like 80s Palooza because they had, well, even though these are still being published, but they had a Usagi Ajimbo story. There's like a ton of different stories in yeah. this. I mean, I mean, we're talking high quality characters, you know. Right. Gru, Grendel, uh, <clears throat> Chu, all kinds of stuff is in here. Right. Now, off mic, Rook was looking through it. When he saw Chu, he put the book there. Oh, Chu. Yeah. I was disgusted. Uh, Chu. <laughs> and, um, but I enjoyed the story. Um, it had all kinds of people. It had a Colony Dorn story, which I really enjoyed. Um, some are poet, you know, illustrated poetry. Um, one thing I was concerned about was a book of tributes, you know, salutes. And, um, they do talk about war and they they make comments and there are, I guess you could consider them like some of the poetry, a tribute to the Ukrainian people. And that's, that's all good. I like that. But I just hate it when they spend all their time just with somebody in the center and they're all saluting them. Come on, don't waste my time. But. It has an American flag story by, you know, these are all by the original creators. Um, it's outstanding. And it's bigger than a regular comic. It's kind of oversized. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, but, I mean, it's it's gorgeously printed. It's, yeah. it's wonderfully done. I mean, and, I mean, creators involved. I mean, you're, there's, there's, this list is huge. Joe Jusco, Alex Ross, just to name two just to pull up uh, Gabriel Rodriguez. There you go. Yeah. There's another one. I mean, these are names that we all know now. So, I mean, just absolutely power-packed with with uh, powerful creators. Uh, it's yeah, it's an impressive book. So, I I hope that maybe it'll be available for purchase later. Um, you know, this was to raise money for the efforts, but which they went far beyond what they were wanting to do. But, I don't know, it'd be nice if this continued to see print if you'd like to get it, because this is, it's nice. Yeah, it is a good book. It is. That, um, and that's something that I could definitely see recommended to people. Yeah. A year and a half wait. <laughs> hey, man, it with, takes time. With little communication. But, that's that's where they went wrong. Yeah. Little communication is where they went wrong. Um, I think Scott Dunbar was the guy behind it and um he did when they did send it they tell you but like i said after a while whatever happened to that book (laughs) um anyway all right mention that 
Now, the next one, Rook and I did one infamous show, and I talked about a newspaper comic strip that I absolutely despised. <laughs> I absolutely despised it. And I went on the first half of the show talking about how much I hated it, how much my friends hated it, how much my dads hated it. Didn't understand why it was in the newspaper. I was surprised when, you know, some companies were even putting out reprint books, which are nice to get reprints of strips you like. And then I pulled out this book, and Brooke was like, wait a minute, what? All that, that lambasting. I got another one. You got another one. After all that, you got another one. Oh my, give, let me see this thing. Hold on. <laughs> now this one, it's the comic strip we're talking about is Nancy by Ernie Bushmiller. Now this book is called Three Rocks and it's written by, um, what's Bill? that? Yeah, Bill Griffith, the guy that created Zippy the Pinhead. And it's not a prose book, you know, or anything like that. It's all comics. And basically what he does, he's telling about Ernie Bushmiller's life, you know, the book I was talking about when I, I bought was How to Read Nancy. And um, what brought me was, uh, what was it Olivia James that did the, the new Nancy work? I absolutely love that. I bought a, a collection of her work, but we were talking about her work. And then it, it started making me see Ernie Bushmiller's work a little differently. And um, I found that people that love Ernie Bushmiller's work hate hers. <laughs> and... um. But I, I loved hers. Anyway, Bill Griffith is a big fan of Ernie Bushmiller. And this is some of the best work I've ever seen him do. And that's a thick book, and that's a lot of comics. But he's telling us... If you don't, if you didn't hear the old episode where I whined about it all the time, he got a job at the newspaper, you know, first as a gopher when he was young. But then he basically was taking care of the crossword puzzle. And they said, you can do anything you want as long as there's a puzzle on that page. So he started illustrating it, you know, decorating and this and that. And he was trying to get into the cartoonist bullpen. And there was a good girl strip called Fritzy Ritz, somebody else he created. And he left the paper and Ernie Bushmiller took it over. Fritzy Ritz, um, you know, he did that. And then later he introduced um, her niece came in just a little bit. And it was Nancy. And I don't know if Nancy was extremely popular, if he just enjoyed doing her, but she did come back, and eventually the strip became Nancy, and Fritzy, Aunt Fritzy would be in it a bit. But um, anyway, I don't know. I I like the cover, and people in the Nancy groups on Facebook keep posting, I got this in the mail, and they show it. Well, that's good. I just didn't want to read another biography, you yeah. know. And, uh, but then somebody posted the pages. Wait a minute. It's illustrated. And yeah, I mean, it is. It's, it's fully illustrated. illustrated beautifully. And it tells a lot more. It, the How to Read Nancy book told the whole story of Ernie Bushmiller, and I really enjoyed it. He really tells a lot more about him. And um, it's it's something. It's something to read. So anyway, you can hate something and many years later change your mind. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, you got you got stacks over here, man. Now, what is what is this I'm seeing? All right, this this is my daughter's. My daughter is a big fan of Ben Sears, who did these books. I asked her how she found him. Um, you know, she go to some conventions when she was up north and when she was in college. 
And uh, she has a t-shirt. It's a real simple graphic of like a circle with um, three lines that make a cat. It's neat. That was Ben Sears. But these books are about um, a boy and a robot. The boy's um, a tinker. He, you know, he builds things and he fixes things. But to me, it's like, you know, in the 80s, you had all those post-apocalyptic kind of worlds, yeah. worldscapes. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like a desert kind of world. It's, it seemed like it's a broken civilization that's moving on. And, um, you know, a lot of technology that we don't have. But she's got several of these. And every time she gets them, she brings it back in. And it says, um, you want to read them? Yeah, I do. So, um, and then when she goes to a convention, or, co you know, she does cosplay. Sometimes she goes to manga, anime conventions. But when she sees him, she always buys stuff from him. Shirts, um, bags. Big fan of his, but I... I was not aware of him, and I have yet to see him in a comic store. Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated just looking through this. I mean, the artwork is great. Yes, uh, it's it's quick, easy read from from the look of it. Uh, it, it it looks like it's a lot of fun in this book. They well. are fun. I really enjoy these, and the the, the characters have a personality. It's um, when I say this, it's got a, got a quirky feel to it. Yeah, like you said, fun. Well, like, uh, um, um, there's this one, there's this one panel right here where the the lead character he's got what appears to be a different kind of robot than the one he's traveling with on his back, and it starts kind of like creating pieces for him, and the lead character goes, "Ow, you pinched my back a little," and the backpack's <laughs> like, "Sorry," yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like. Just a line like that just kind of takes you out for a second and it's just like comedic. It's like, well, you know, that that certainly could be something that would happen if you had something like this on strapped to your backside. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, one, uh, one thing I'm going to say on this is sometimes maybe misleading. If you just look at this on the surface, you think, oh, it's just a, you know, a cute little book. The drawings in some ways you'd say is simple. But if you really look at it, they're not. No, there's know? there's a great amount of detail yeah. on the character design, on the, the costuming of the characters. Uh, the background is simplistic in, yeah. in many parts, but then in other parts it's like, it, it's, I mean, like the background here. I mean, you've got this whole entire room drawn out. So, right. So, you know. Well, and you said easy to read. It's absolutely easy to read, but it's kind of complex at the same time. You can pull these out and find something else you didn't notice before. Mm hmm And even in the writing, it's it's got a fun, like I said, it's got a fun quirkiness to it. But, you know, you'd think I would learn, but every time my daughter brings me one, I always read it and say, how did you find this guy again? And the story never changes. I, for some reason, just can't get it in my head that, you know, it's a guy I've never heard of that goes to conventions. and. But there's so many of those. I mean, yeah. you know, it's... It, there's so many different people at conventions. There's so much stuff you can find and see. I mean, it's... It, you never know. You never know who you're going to run across. Well, that's... And I've said this on the show a lot of times. I go to conventions, I'm digging through boxes. I'm in the dealer's room trying to find comics. And um, my friend Britt, who's been on the show, I talk about him a lot, 
he goes to conventions. He he goes and talks to the people. He he talks to vendors, but he'll talk to the the creators. Creators I don't know, and he'll stay and talk to for a while. And sometimes I remember even in the early '80s, he would read comic books. He said, "I think I'm the only one that reads these books. You know, Marvel comics, but not the ones everybody read." But he'd meet the creators, and so it made him interested in it. But me, I'll go to the convention. Sometimes I'll be by a creator table. Hey. Oh hi, how you doing? <laughs> I don't yeah. talk, you know. But I would have missed out on Ben Sears. Um, yeah, but, and it's funny you say that because like we just attended a tattoo convention, and you know, it's really it's really wild walking around a tattoo convention these days because like back in the day, tattoo artists were kind of like you know. A little kind of closed offish, yeah. not very friendly for the most part. Dude, walking around a convention now, it's like I mean, you get into conversations and chatting with people. You notice like one thing on their table and start talking about all kinds of different stuff. Um, met a few different artists. Uh, met some artists actually from uh, the uh, Denver, Colorado area. They said they're about forty-five minutes out from there. Oh, we had a blast talking with them. Yeah. And our next Denver trip, we're going to try and actually pop over to the shop and get tattooed over there. So, you know, you never know who you're going to find at these conventions. You know, it's there's one thing that I'll say about any convention of any kind. You do yourself a disservice if you're if all you're doing is going to A, B, C, D, done. You know, wander around the convention. Look at tables, you know. If somebody engages with you and starts a conversation, start chatting because you never know who you're going to get into a conversation yeah. with. And, I mean, it's it's amazing. Because, like, one one particular table, got into a conversation with a guy. Uh, he sells pins, awesome different uh, pins. And we got in this conversation with him about the whole convention and like what he's doing next and you know, this and that. I mean, we had a blast talking to this guy and it wasn't until my wife got a message from her shop that was like, Hey, we need you back at the booth that we were like, Oh crap, we have to go. (laughs) It was like all of a sudden we realized we've been standing there for like 20 minutes hanging out. (laughs) You know, tattoo culture has completely changed. I mean, since the seventies and eighties. Oh yeah. And, um, Tattoos to me have gotten better, but you go to comic conventions and they have a tattoo section. Uh, some people get if you can talk the creator into it. I was listening to some guy on a podcast. He liked uh, Tales of the Bean World, you know, Larry Martyr. Yeah. And he had a sharpie, and he wanted Larry Martyr to draw one of the characters on his arm. Uh, Larry Martyr wasn't really thrilled about that, yeah. but the guy talked him into it. Then he went to the tattoo booth and had him tattoo it on. I. Kind of cool, I thought. I said, at first, I thought, why would they have a tattoo? They have tattoo shops in the mall. When I when I was yeah, in the don't Navy, get tattooed in the mall. I got, <laughs> but I'm just saying, that's that was unthinkable. When I was in the Navy, the only place you could get tattoos was downtown, and it was a certain section, and basically it was not a section normal people went to. Yeah, uh, you know, I I say that don't get tattooed in the mall near me. Oh, I got you. But, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's like, it's like find some, finding somebody to cut your hair. You know, it could be at the mall, but you know, it could be at some small salon. It could be a barber shop. But there's always somebody that does a really good job, and other people that yeah. maybe not. Yeah. But 
Yeah, um, but the whole tattoo culture, so I can understand where the old tattoo artists were kind of like introverts and stay away. Now it's, I don't know. I don't know if they were so much introverts as they were grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, but that's, that's the thing, like, uh, you know, what's interesting is got into a conversation with somebody about uh, different conventions and stuff, and, you know, uh, this particular uh particular booth that we were at that how had all the pins uh it was called geeky and kinky (laughs) (laughs) so y'all can let your imaginations run wild and google that up uh but awesome pins very cool stuff um he he was laughing because you know i was buying some comic book pins uh in his art style (laughs) uh we were talking about it and stuff and you know, about comic conventions versus, you know, tattoo conventions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he said, he goes, comic conventions are so different from what they used to be. He's like, you know, I remember back in the day, like going to the comic convention and like, you'd look at the guy, like most of the guys there were like the basement dwellers, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, the, the dudes you can tell lived in mom and dad's basement or in the attic <laughs> and never saw daylight. And he's like, dude, he's like, the comic conventions now are so different. They're so bright. They're so vibrant. And there's so much life in them. You know, it's not like a dark room, you know, where it's like, shame, shame. He's correct. But at the same time, I remember a lot of conventions. I didn't go to a lot of conventions. But when I was in college in Oklahoma, a lot of the vendors were in comic clubs, but they were guys from the golden age. Yeah. And they were always happy to talk to people about comics, but they weren't, like you said, the basement dwellers. There was plenty of that. Oh, yeah. But the one thing I always got, they'd have a costume contest, and they'd have some people in homemade costumes. You know, it was just, okay, you know, and sometimes people make a joke about fat people and spandex. But I was shocked when, it was the reason we started the show was we went to Megacon out in Orlando. And cosplay really changed. Oh, yeah. And I'll be honest, I don't think a lot of those people even read comics, you know? Um, You know what? They may not read the comic, but in some way, shape, or form, they connect with a particular character, and they enjoy it. And you know what? Let them, let them, let them have all the fun they want. Dallas and I went to a little convention in Tampa, and I was surprised, because there was a group of people, there was, and they were buff. There was a guy uh, dressed as Green Lantern, the... Um, John Stewart Green Lantern. Yep. There's a woman dressed as Phoenix, the you know the green one, and um, long red hair. And there's there's a family. The guy, the man was Batman. The woman was Batwoman, and the little girl was Catgirl, Catwoman. And um, they were nice costumes. And there's a guy that showed up as Superman. He really looked like Christopher Reeve as Superman. Yeah. But you can see they spent a lot of time in the gym. And they would just walk around, and, you know, of course, you couldn't have a look at them, and some of them would look at you like, yeah, yeah, we're in a costume, we're walking around, we're cool. But, I mean, they're not comic book people. But even Dallas made a comment, I wasn't expecting that. Well, I see that, especially Megacon, I see anime characters, I see stuff I'm not even familiar with. I see a lot of X-Men characters, and not the big ones. I mean, some minor characters. Some random D-lister. And I'm thinking... Where you know did they make that costume? Did they buy that? How did you, it, that wasn't a thing when I was younger, but 
I guess the thing, and what you said is true. You find a character that resonates with you and you like it, and that's that's all fine. But like I said, what I'm going is to get comic books. Yep. And, you know, Megacon, I haven't been there in a long time, but the few years I went there, I noticed that it was less and less comic vendors all the time. That's one of the one of the things I dislike about conventions these days is, you know, you used to be able to get in there and find, like, these vendors with these boxes. But now, now it feels like you go in there and it's like everybody's got the same overstock of comics from the last two years that they're trying to, right. you know do blowout deals on and it's like well you know i'm looking for older stuff i'm looking for stuff from the early 80s late 70s or the 60s and you know all that stuff is so expensive those guys don't want to carry that into a convention in a box right i had four index cards of all these obscure issues i was missing Mm -hmm. i was trying to get and uh, i it wasn't as bad in other states i lived in but in florida it's basically a death knell um it's a little different now, but when I moved here, the comic stores basically sold the same thing you could buy at the convenience stores and grocery stores at the yeah. time. You know, everywhere else I lived, Oklahoma, Texas, California, they have all kinds of stuff, love and rockets, stuff you couldn't get anywhere else. Yeah. And sometimes, it wasn't easy, but sometimes you could find stuff that you were looking for. But the first year we went to Megacon, that's when my daughter went to college, so I started having some free time. I had these index cards. I found nothing I was looking for, and every dealer there had the same twenty image comic books, <laughs> the old yeah. old image style comic books. Yep. But I mean, every dealer. And then a friend of mine that goes to make a con every year. I saw her at work after that. She goes, "Oh, that was terrible." Says they all had too much over. They over ordered something. They're trying to get rid of it. Yep. And uh, but then the years after that, I went. You know. Um, it was different. You could find a good haul. You could find stuff if you dug. And then the last couple I went to, I don't know, it was, you know, there was some. I mean, I, I didn't walk out with nothing. Yeah. But it wasn't the same. And I mean, I understand life, the only constant is change. Yep. You know, but, and so, you know, um, I'm, I always wanted to go to Heroes Con up in North Carolina. And uh, we almost did one time, and too many things happened. But I'm always told by the people to go to it, that's for the, the creators. That's solely for the creators. Yeah, and see, that's what I'd like to go to, is something like that. Yeah, I would like to go to that, too. Um, but saying that, I do enjoy the cosplayers, and some of them, a lot of them are just amazing. Oh, yeah. Some of them, the work they put into it, yeah. it's wild. And selling it. Yeah, my, my daughter was doing roller derby for a while down in St. Petersburg, and um, or Tampa. I'm not which sure which, but I was working outside on the on the house painting. And one of her, she came out in the garage and said, "One of my friends is coming over, and um, let me know." Okay, so but go greet her. Okay, I thought that was strange, you know. So this SUV pulls up, so I walk over to it, <laughs> and this girl comes out. She's got a purple cape, and she's Got her arm bent in front of her nose and the other one pulling out like a <laughs> vampire. She was Raven from the Teen Titans. Oh, nice. And which, I know there's a cartoon show and stuff, but even then, it's kind of a, to me, a random character. Oh, and no, she's hugely popular I now. got you. But I was laughing. I says, you're Raven. 
And she was laughing, and we talked for a while. You know, um, she's a, a legal assistant <laughs> for a law firm. But uh, she was in roller derby with my daughter. And yep. um, I really enjoyed talking to her. But I told Holly later, you know, she was a young lady, kind of slightly shy. And I told Holly, I said, you know, I'm really surprised. A young lady I don't even know would sit there and pull off, you know, wearing a costume and then doing that. She goes, Dad, you have to sell the costume. Yep. And that's one thing I always thought at, at conventions funny was we were standing in line to get tickets, and there was three girls dressed as Star Trek, you know, the old Star Trek. One had the blue jersey, one had the red jersey, one had the gold. One had Vulcan ears, and each one had a, one had the phaser, one had the tricorder, one had the communicator. And they're just three girls talking. They were nice costumes. But I'm there with Dallas, you know, and then all of a sudden um, somebody came up and I, I guess they asked for a picture. Scared me to death because all of a sudden they went to the Charlie's Angels pose, you know, <laughs> each one holding one of those instruments. And, you know, we're standing, you know, not real close, but we're by them. All of a sudden, what's happening? And so we got out of the way and they took the picture. And I, you'll be digging around the box or something. And all of a sudden, somebody strikes a pose. Oh, and you kind of get out of the way. But somebody comes up and wants to take a picture. And I've never seen anybody wearing a costume that didn't do that. If somebody comes up, they, they sell it. You know, yep. they act like a normal person, even though they're wearing an awesome costume. If I showed up a convention costume, I'm not posing. <laughs> <laughs> if you want a picture, you're just going to get me wearing a costume. But. <laughs> Well, that's like, uh, do you remember when I did the Green Lantern cosplay? Which was awesome, yep, by the way. I did the Guy Gardner Green Lantern. Yeah, and you and, made uh, the costume. Oh, yeah, made it, by, made it myself. It was great. Uh, uh, I remember I was at a convention in that costume, and I I had gone out front, and as back when I was still smoking. So yeah. I went out front to have a smoke, and I remember there were a couple other cosplayers out there with me, and... We kind of we kind of like came out the front door, and we went around to the side of the building to have our cigarettes yeah. because we didn't want people to see us. Yeah. Ha- you yeah. know, we didn't want people to see co- the characters smoking. Right. And of course, we hide around the corner, and what happens? But a car pulls up with a bunch of little kids in it, and <laughs> here we are all puffing away, and we're like, uh, <laughs> uh, "Hi, kids!" <laughs> you know, it was just kind of like. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's just it, it's kind of one of those things, you know. You're things. embodying that character for the day, you know. I mean, granted, I was Guy Gardner, so I could have walked around with a beer in my hand and still been in character. <laughs> yeah, it's, Guy Gardner was a complete anti-hero. Oh, really he was complete. Extremely, extremely he is popular. a complete a-hole. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was a strong character, really popular too. Yeah, yeah, but a lot of people hate him though. A lot of people hate him, so yeah. I was just like, man, eh, whatever. I don't care, people. <laughs> the first time I ever noticed Guy Gardner was in um. Crisis of Infinite Earths. They mm. came out in 85. One yep. of my favorite series. But, you know, they were realigning all the, the different fragmented worlds that DC had. And um, towards the end of it, when they were basically explaining to you that, you know, the Barry Allen Flash is gone, Wally West of the Flash, you know, Jay Garrick is, yep. you know, retired. But they're all from the same Earth now. And um, if you if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about and you really want to be confused, look up Crisis of Infinite Earths and um yeah. you know, you'll you'll start to cry. But nevertheless I, I loved all this stuff when I was a kid. But the Guardians of the Galaxy Guardians of the Universe, sorry, that's Marvel. The Guardians of the Universe 
who power the, the Green Lanterns, they basically announced that Guy Gardner was the Green Lantern of Earth. Mm-hmm. Hal Jordan was no longer. Yep. And uh, Or he was still around, but... He, he was still around, but I don't think he had a ring. Something, something else was going on. No, he had a ring because they did the Green Lantern Corps after that, and it was it was John um, John Stewart, Hal Jordan, Katrina, that red lady. Yeah. And uh, there was what was that? Um, there was a big, big dog-looking guy, the the squirrel called Chip. <laughs> well, I remember and, uh, Guy Gardner, <clears throat> Guy. Guy would have been able to get the ring. It was just that Hal was closer at the time. Yeah, to the well, ring. So that's the thing. I didn't know who Guy Gardner was except when they and they didn't show much. They yeah. just had that one. He was real small on the panel. But when I was digging around my comic books later, you know, a year or two later, I had an old issue of Green Lantern from the seventies, and it had Hal Jordan, had John Stewart, who I did know. Mm-hmm. And it had Guy Gardner. It was all drawn by Gil Kane. But, you know, the Guy Gardner wasn't wearing that 80s Road Warrior outfit that you wore at the convention yeah. that everybody knows, which was awesome. But he was wearing the regular Green Lantern outfit like the other two. So, okay, he was already, you know, uh, a Green Lantern. But it was at that time, I know Green Lantern Corps... I, I never understood how that worked because I remember the issue started out with John Stewart saying, "We can do anything we want." How the rules are off, but they were—they had Green Lantern rings. They were Green Lanterns, mm-hmm. but they became a core. And like I said, it was two humans and a team of aliens. I only read the first issue, and I mean, I liked it, but I didn't want to buy anymore. So I don't know how it worked, but nevertheless, Green—you know—Guy Gardner became a massive character. He's one of Rook's favorites. Rook dressed like him. And it, we, an, it actually annoys me that I can't find that many Guy Gardner collectible pieces. Anytime somebody tries to buy me something Green Lantern, it's always freaking Hal Jordan. <laughs> okay. The fight's getting ready to insult because Hal Jordan <laughs> is Green Lantern. But I know what you mean. I, I honestly think Guy Gardner is far more popular than Hal Jordan ever was. Uh, it's, uh, Hal is Hal is seen as as the Green Lantern because he was he was the Green Lantern. He is Green for the Lantern. long for the longest yeah. amount of time. You know, uh, as far as popularity, honestly, I think John Stewart is far more popular as a Green Lantern than either of them. Now, John Stewart, I have to say, I'm I'm there with Rook. I love Hal Jordan, but I I think John Stewart's probably my favorite Green Lantern. Yeah, but John Stewart is a complicated character because and not not his fault not the character's fault <laughs> but the first time he appeared and i can't tell you in 1972 when he appeared on that cover of green lantern it was shocking because neil adams and i, I bring this up all the time with we were talking to that one guy about um ty rock from the mm-hmm. legion yep. of superheroes mike grill drew him as a black man he didn't draw a white guy and colored him brown yep he was a really nice-looking black human being. John Stewart was the same way. But that first cover, Green, you know, Hal Jordan's on the ground. You know, John Stewart's holding his arm up and he's pointing the ring, and it could have been Shaft. He's looking and says, "All right, you had your chance at him. Now try me." Shocking. And when you read that, and man, he was—he had street talk down. He was anti-establishment. 
and how Jordan was establishment. You know, the Guardians told him he's going to be the alternate Green Lantern. You got to help him. A lot of fights. He was flippant. Yeah, that was that's the cover. Yeah, That'll I just be pulled on the up blog. the cover for the two of us to be looking at while we're talking. And now, I bought that when I was ten, and the comic was shocking. But that was the John Stewart we knew. As as time went on, you know, in the 80s, when I was talking about that cover Gil Kane did with the three of them, he was kind of more a regular guy. You know, he was kind of like John uh, Hal Jordan. You know, they kind of watered him down. One of my favorite, and Rook and I have talked about this, Cosmic Odyssey, written by Jim Starlin, drawn by Mike Mignola. It was four square-bound issues. I read that comic, and I feel like I'm nine years old again reading you know, Justice League or Legion of Superheroes or something. But John Stewart's the main character in it. But he's he's nothing like he was in the seventies. And uh this came out in I think eighty eight. Mm-hmm. But he um John Stewart it was kind of a story of rep- you know, retribution. But he relies so much on the ring, and John Jones, the Martian Manhunter, keeps telling him you can't be that way and kind of chastising him. And he blows it big. Yeah. He blows it so big. And I feel so bad because he's a character I love, and I hate that that happened. But he basically pulls himself together at the end, you know, and it goes on. But I'm thinking, you know, these are three completely different human beings. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And Absolutely. the Green Lantern Corps, John Stewart was another one. He acted more like a flyboy, like Hal Jordan, except that he seemed to understand the, the current situation instead of trying to hang on like Hal Jordan did. He wasn't so stiff. But, yeah. Um, the Justice League animated series, that's my favorite John Stewart. He's oh, an ex Marine. He's awesome in that series. He's super awesome. Yeah. And I loved how when he. Um, he turned a Green Lantern, his pupils would be green too, you mm-hmm. know, and awesome character. Like I said, ex-Marine, he carried himself as an ex-Marine, and he was also in that cartoon Static Shock a couple of times. Um, he was kind of a mentor to Static. Was he really? Yeah. I don't remember. Man, I gotta go back and watch uh, Static. Uh, I saw him in one. I think he's in a couple of episodes, yeah. and um. Yeah, well, that was during the time frame when DC owned Milestone. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, well, I mean... Well, DC started Milestone with, um, was it no. Dennis Cohen? And um, what's that other guy? Uh, he just passed away. Dwayne. DC did not start Milestone. Milestone oh. published through DC. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, there's of... a wonderful documentary about this. I, I and, didn't know any of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, one, <laughs> of the, one of the... One of the great things about Milestone Comics and why you don't see a lot of those characters often is because they still own the rights to them. Mm. And every time DC uses one of those characters, they have to pay. Oh, okay. Well, that's... So that's why, that's why a lot of those characters like Icon, Static Shock, you know, mm. they, they disappeared for so long. Because mm. DC didn't, was unwilling to pay for that. Um, but, I mean, the, the Milestone Comics, I mean, is a is has become a absolute you know corner point in comics these days yeah. because i mean you're talking about black owned black created black written black drawn you know everybody on staff uh what right. had something to say at milestone <laughs> you know it was from a perspective not typically seen right. uh, really not ever seen 
to that way. Uh, and that's why Milestone was such an important part of comic books history. And they were strong characters. Oh, they were fantastic know. characters. Yeah. And, um, think about this. Do you think Robert, Robert Kirkman would have had the Invincible Comics ideas? Some of the, like, take a look at Invincible Comic, mm-hmm. uh, the comic book Invincible, okay? Take a look at the character design. Oh, yeah. uh, how much does that scream icon when you look at it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I don't think Invincible would exist without Icon from Milestone. I got you. I I, I agree. Yeah. I think you're right. And, oh. and I mean, <clears throat> you you know, you had things like like uh, like Static Static Shock. Uh, pardon me. Actually, it, 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 that's, the comic that's was Static. The yes, the comic yeah. was Static. The show was Static Shock. But Static Static was dealing things with. Uh, as a teenager yeah. that other comic books just didn't deal with, you know, like losing your virginity, yeah. you know, De- dealing with all kinds of stuff that just didn't happen in other comic books or they would skirt around it in ways, you know. Yeah. I mean, there was literally a condom on the front cover of <laughs> that issue and the publishers were like, nah, nah, you know, so, and the solution they came up with, but they talk about it in the documentary. I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me, you know, and the question, one of the guys questioned even in in the documentary, it was like, if this was a young Peter Parker in this storyline, do you think that they would have censored it the way they did? Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, it's it's a true question. It's something to, something to think about. But Stanek was a strong character, and Mobius drew one of the covers. So mm-hmm. that got a praise for me. Oh, um, yeah. But the Stanek shot cartoon... I catch it every once in a while. Um, really, really strong show. Yeah. Nice looking, good stories. Uh, the characters are fantastic, and yep. like you said, they dealt with it. Dealt with things teenagers would be doing. Yeah. And uh, my daughter every once in a while would tell me, um, a kid at her school, so he, that's his favorite show. Yeah. I, I I didn't hear it once or twice. It was like multiple times. Yeah. Well, and then Static shows up again in Young Justice. Oh. Yeah. He shows up in the Justice League cartoon animated series. Um, they see the future League. Yep. And there's a, a, a character that's a cross between Hawkman and Green Lantern. And that's when John Stewart realizes that's um, Hawkgirl Hawk and his kid. <laughs> yep. yep. And uh, Batman Beyond is in there. Um, and Static is one of the members. Yep. And Green, you know, like I said, John Stewart is talking to him again. Like I said, it crossed over because he was a mentor. I mean, not all the time, but he was there. And like I said, the ex-Marine Marine character, it's, it was portrayed really well. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of like a, an uncle to that guy. And yeah. he, Static Shock was figuring things out on his own. But there was once or twice where John Stewart was on there and helped him on. Man, anyway. i got to go back and watch those. I don't remember him being in there. Yeah, well, it wasn't, it wasn't the ma- massive thing. It was a static shot cartoon, but he was in yeah. it. Yeah. And uh, I think twice, but I, I may be wrong. I'm wrong a lot. It could be just once, but could have been more. I didn't see all the episodes. But like I said, when the Justice League showed up, he's talking to him by his first name, even though by this time static shock is dreadlocks or um, gray. Yeah. <laughs> he's yep. older than John Stewart is. <laughs> But he's still talking to John Stewart like he is the adult, you know, and the mentor. But anyway, yeah, man, we just 
keep going on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm telling you, dude. Uh, Milestone is one of my favorites. Uh, I really wish back in the day I would have picked up more of their books because they had absolutely fantastic. You don't see them in dollar boxes at all. No, because they're super yeah. hard to find. And yeah. I mean, collectors scoop them up really quick. So it's, yeah, it, and they did. They they were published by DC, but they didn't fall under the editorial control. Yeah. Um, they DC reserved the rights not to publish things. Yeah. And that's part of the reason that that static shock uh, or the shock uh, static issue uh, became a thing. Um, but it, it's, you know, if you guys don't know Milestone Comics, uh, I believe it's on Hulu. Um, absolutely fantastic documentary talking about it. Um, it's it's a fantastic. I think they may be publishing again in some. some well, that's what I was gonna ask. Could they publish not under DC? Um, I don't know. Um, I'd have to I'd have to really dig and, and start searching mm. for it and stuff. But it's, you know, like I said, the character list that they have. Mm. I mean, there's just there's fantastic. Uh, oh, here we go. Here's a quick list for you guys: Hardware, Blood Syndicate, Icon, Static, Shadow Cat uh, Cabinet. You know, I mean, these these were all primary characters that that started a company that was absolutely fantastic. Um, hardware, I remember hardware a lot. I mm. remember hardware more than anybody else. Static came in. Um, I don't remember uh, what point Static started getting published, but I feel like Static came in, or at least Static came into my consciousness after Hardware. Mm. I remember Hardware vividly because he was like this machine man, you know, mm. uh, very kind of like Tony Stark esque, but cooler. <laughs> what, what year did those books come out? Oh, we're talking like uh, what was that? Late nineties, early two thousands. Oh, okay, that's when there's no stores around me. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, um, <clears throat> Milestone was founded in 93, so, yeah, we we're talking about, like, uh, early 90s, and, but I, I recall, I remember mm. starting to see them, like, late 90s, early see, 2000s. Like, uh, we were just talking, Rook knows the comics, I know of the comics now, I knew Static Shock, I didn't know he'd been a comic. Yep. And, um, I found out, um, uh, Milestone was created by, um, uh, Dwayne Duffy, and Dwayne McDuffie. Oh, McDuffie. Yep. And who was a fantastic writer. And um, he wrote comic books and he also wrote animated series. Uh, he wrote a lot of scripts. But, um, and Dennis Cohen, which is an artist on a lot of, he did The Question, he did Power Man and Iron Fist for Marvel. He yep. did um, a bunch of stuff. Also, he was one of the main people behind the Boondocks animated cartoon on. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Which was strong. Yeah. But, I, um, yeah, Milestone has far-reaching... Uh, what Milestone did reached far into culture. Yeah. Far beyond, you know, even after even after they, they shuttered their doors, uh, Milestone was still a big deal. And uh, it's just... They, they came back in 2015, 16? I don't remember exactly. But it was, you know, I mean, like I said, you don't find a lot of their stuff in dollar boxes because collectors yeah. scoop them up. I've quick. never seen anything in dollar boxes. Um, like I said, the way I've learned of them was on the internet. Yeah, you know, um, you know, not like I said, the static 
shock cartoon, you know, mm-hmm. and then I started seeing other things. I read about them, but I wasn't really going to comic stores at the time. Yeah. And, um, you know, my daughter was small. I was, I was still going to comic stores when they started, you said in 93, but I guess the store I went to either didn't have them or I didn't notice them. Probably, probably yeah. didn't have them because I mean, uh, I hate to say this, you know, but I mean, it was the the start of Milestone Comics is because the founders of the of the company felt that that stories written from a black perspective were dramatically underrepresented. In I the I agree, and I they absolutely, absolutely were. You know, and still are to many aspects, yeah, to yeah. many, many aspects, you know. But it's gotten better. But it, yeah. it, it's getting better, you yeah. know. I mean, uh, unfortunately, we now deal with things like, you know, the 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 retro the retro conning of characters yeah. or the addition of characters like Miss Marvel. Um, God, Miss Marvel came out, and I remember people were like, eh, me, me, me. It's like, dude, shut up. It's a, This is the thing that everybody has been talking about. They created an all-new character, and she's super freaking cool. And I remember yeah. when she first came out, people were like, meh. And <laughs> now, now look at her. I mean, she's she's hugely popular, you know? Yeah. I mean, she's a great character. Yeah, really popular. Well, as a matter of fact, I was talking to somebody that listened to the show way back, and they were complaining about, like you just said, retrofitting characters, you know, bringing in, you know. And I mentioned, um, I don't know who, I think it's Steelheart. It was the girl that was Iron Man. Ironheart. Yeah. Ironheart. Yep. And um, I never read them. I, I liked the covers. I thought she was visually really neat looking. Yeah. I liked that. And I mentioned that, and he goes, oh, actually, no, she's a really strong character. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. even though he was complaining about retrofitting old Marvel characters in the new ones. Yeah. But... You know, like I said, I had no opinion. I thought visually she was really neat looking, but I never read the book. But he corrected, no, no, she's actually a really strong character. Yeah. Um, and Ms. Ms. Marvel, well, it was Captain Marvel. When Captain Marvel died in that one graphic novel, yes, when Jim Starlin did it, he got cancer. I was at a convention in 82 in Dallas, and... um people of marvel was on a panel and they were announcing that they were going to have a new captain marvel is going to be a woman yep and everybody you know which yeah i I was right there like oh come on well i don't know i don't remember her name but dan pritchard was talking about he says no actually she was a really well-written character absolutely she is i didn't i didn't like her outfit or anything but he was talking about how unique she was one of the things that i found hugely hilarious is when they announced that they were doing the Captain Marvel movie with Carol Danvers. Yeah. And people were all like... Eh, eh, the, I remember the, the, the basement-dwelling troll people were all like, that's not the real Captain Marvel. I'm one of those people, by the way. I okay. don't have a basement, but I was 1,000%. It's not the real... <laughs> but, but here's my answer to those people and you. She has been Captain Marvel longer yeah. than the original. Yeah. And she sells better. She is, and when I say this... So by all means, why in why in the world would they have made... A Captain Marvel movie the full, with the male Captain Marvel. Full transparency. When I was in high school, Marvel did Spider-Woman. 
and I thought, you have got to be kidding me. She was in, I don't know, Marvel premiere or something, you know, but she, you know, I thought, that's stupid. Then they had She-Hulk. What the, you know, what is, and then they did Ms. Marvel. One, the name, Ms. Marvel. Of course, I bought that one. <laughs> and uh, I didn't care for them much, but I did buy it. She fought the Scorpion. She was working at the Daily Bugle under J. Jonah Jameson, I guess doing a parade kind of magazine. Mm-hmm. And then I found out when Marvel was doing those True Believers for a dollar, she was in the, the Captain Marvel comic. And uh, she was an Air Force officer. Yep. And I thought, well, I didn't know Carol Danvers went back that far. Yep. Kinda 1968. Like, yeah. That was in the True Believers. It, again, like Guy Gardner, I didn't know he had been around all that time. Mm-hmm. But um, later, when Dave Coffin redesigned her costume, all of a sudden I, I read it. Well, that's kind of neat. They were trying to change her. She was back in the Air Force. and um, But Carol Danvers... I started feeling really sorry for her because Rogue stole half her powers right. and half her identity. And that's yep. Avengers Annual 11, which was a true believer later, which, you know, is really nice. Michael Golden drew it. Chris Claremont wrote it. Super, super awesome. But it shows her falling down the Golden Gate Bridge. Spider-Woman catches her. Now, as I said, I thought Spider-Woman was dumb. But then, after she was in that one issue, she got her own series, cut the top of her mask off so she had this super long black flowing hair. I bought several of those issues, and then I found out Steve Leolola drew it for a long time. I went back to the store in Torrance, California, and bought every issue he did. And I became a big Spider-Woman fan, mm-hmm. even though, at the beginning... Everybody thought she was creepy. She had something because those spider powers that just creep people out. But she was in England. And I love reading American comic books where they're trying to be English. And has all these kids. Everybody's creeped out by her making comments. But I just remember um, she's walking by and there's these kids playing playing a sport. And they see her. Oh, I said, woman again. And one says, oh, she's so pretty, isn't she? But core, so creepy. Yeah, that's how English people talk. <laughs> but um, nevertheless, even though I hated it, I ended up liking a lot of these characters. But I still look at Carol Danvers. I went to a comic store in Tallahassee, Florida, when my daughter was in school. And while I'm digging around all these, you know, books, a young lady comes. There was a young lady at the counter, a college student. Another young lady comes in, another college student. And she's asking her if they have... I don't know if it was Captain Marvel or Ms. Marvel. I get them confused because they were both... This is in, what, 2000... Well, she was referred to as Ms. Marvel at one point, and along with, like, Warbird or Binary. Oh, that's... So many different characters. Carol Danvers, so many different characters. That's what I... Let's go back to that. Avengers Annual, I didn't mean to get off the point. It was so sad because she had an identity crisis. She didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Well, before that happened... In the Avengers, and it was a creepy, creepy episode. I think Carmine Infantino drew it, which was from DC. He was the Flash artist. But it was weird, and it was basically Wanda, the Scarlet Witch, was trying to conceive a baby with the Vision, who's an android. Oh, yeah. Half the time they draw yeah. him as a robot. Yep. And so they're dealing with this, and she's walking on the beach with Carol Danvers. Carol Danvers has given her thoughts on it, Wanda, and it's really morose and the issue ends 
that Carol Danvers, I guess she collapsed or something. She's in a hospital bed. And the last panel, she's in the foreground with her hands in her face, you know, in the hospital bed like this. And they're telling the Scarlet Witch she's pregnant. Wait a minute, what? Yeah. Well, then the next issue, basically, in one issue, she completely conceives in nine months. Yeah. In one issue. And then the baby comes out. And then, again, in this issue, the baby grows to be a man with this futuristic beard. Really creepy looking guy. And he said that, you know, he wanted her. So he had her impregnated with him. He, she birthed him. And then she said he was going to, I don't know, some other dimension or something. He opened up a portal. And she was explaining to the Avengers that she had to go and she wanted to go and thank you for everything. And she was kind of tears of joy. And the issue ended with it. And I thought, that is so creepy. Yeah. Anyway, in Avengers Annual 11, after Rogue takes half her powers and they become permanent, and Rogue's having to deal with the fact, which she was terrifying in that issue, but later on, Rogue had to deal with the fact that she has half memories that aren't hers, but she had half of Captain Marvel's powers, or Ms. Marvel's powers. And Carol Danvers was upset at the Avengers for letting her go with this guy that she <laughs> just conceived. And talking about one nightmare. And I guess when he went to the other dimension, he kept aging and he died in front of her. I thought, oh, this, this is... And then later, she was with the X-Men when Dave Crocker was drawing it again. And she became binary, as Rook mentioned. Yep. And I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, why... What are they doing to this woman? It's constant mind rape to this woman. Yeah. Who I really liked. But then, I never read these, but she did come back as Captain Marvel. There was another young lady, which I think was, you know, Arab descent. She was uh, Ms. Marvel. And I'm at this comic store in Tallahassee. One young lady comes in and asks about it. says, no, we don't have them anymore. And she says, I, I, I really liked what I read. I want some more. And she goes, yeah, I've heard they're really good. They, it was a big conversation. I've seen at the movie. I go to the movies. I've seen the, the trailer. Really neat what they did. They got all three of them in it. Mm-hmm. And that could be a train wreck, but what I see, it just looks wonderful. It looks fun and unique and yeah, thought provoking. Yeah, so. yeah, it, it's gonna it, that yeah. that that sh could prove to be a very very interesting mm -hmm. one. So, um, you know, speaking of the Marvel movie stuff, I mean, I I saw an article recently where, so, uh, gosh, I can't even remember who it was, uh, was saying that Marvel needs to concentrate on making better movies and not making so many of them. I, I hear that you know? a lot. Well, and, there are a lot. Yeah. Well, you know, the big problem right now is that, like, Loki Season 2 is out, is mm. is, is is publishing uh, once a week. And it's just, it's kind of to the point right now where I'm just like, okay, we're just going to be building up to, like, this huge, like, multiversal Kang War thing happening. And it just kind of feels like we're just kind of doing the same thing as the last one. Hmm. So I feel like the Marvel movies has slipped into the same slot as the Marvel comic books. You know, slow crescendo into big bad guy, big bad guy destroys stuff, superheroes reset everything. You know, hmm. and it's, you know, do better, Marvel. You well, know? but people are still going to see those movies, oh, right? they're still going to see the you movies. Know, I mean, in a lot, lot better amounts than DC movies. I mean, cool. Okay, we're not we're not putting down anybody no. here. Okay. No, 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 
Uh, it's just that the DC movies have become convoluted and, and That's what everybody says. almost pointless to watch because they're talking about a full reset of the entire DC mm-hmm. universe, movie universe. So it's just, you know, I'm really hoping that Marvel doesn't end up doing the same thing because of how kind of like repetitive and convoluted mm-hmm. their movies are, are starting to become. Yeah, I I can see that, but... That, like you said, it applied to the comics, but I read a lot of those comics that mm-hmm. people complain about. And like I said, we talked about, I've got some of these things memorized. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I'm not I'm not big on any of these movies. I've seen some of them. Yeah, and I've liked no, them, I know you're not, but, but I, you know you know me, I love them. Right, I, well, yeah. I get a kick out of them. Yeah, well, and a lot of people. I, I, pardon me, I, I love most of them. Yeah, <laughs> well, there's always going to be some that you oh, don't yeah. care for, but. I am, um, but the ones I've seen, I, with some exceptions, the first Iron Man movie, I couldn't get anybody, I couldn't get my wife to go, I couldn't get my daughter to go, and like I said, and a lot of it was my fault, because I didn't really like superhero movies much, I mean, I like, you know, like some, I like the first two Christopher Reeve Superman movies, Yeah. I liked uh, Rocketeer, which was a comic character, and um, I liked some of them. But I ended up buying the Iron Man DVD when it came out because I wanted to see it. And I love it. Oh, yeah. And I watch, I watch it. It's one of those things, even though I've seen it, if it comes on or if once in a while I'll put the DVD in, I really enjoy it. It's neat. It's unique. Uh, I saw the second one on TV once. It's fine. Um, some people I've worked with get upset that, I'm a comic guy that don't really watch the movies, so they make me watch the DVD. I watched the Avengers first movie, and I, I enjoyed myself. Um, I went to see my daughter in South Carolina. She was wanting to see Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I really didn't want, want to go, but, you know, she didn't want to go, so I said, okay, but I'm like, oh, God, I've got to see this. Can we see something else? I had a blast. We, you and I talked about it, but I, it's come on TV, you know, some, yep. I think it was on Crackle or something one time, and I thought it was the first one, and I thought, I'd never seen the first one, I really enjoyed the second one, I I don't know, I I watched part, and I just said, enough, and then one time I tried to watch the second one, because I really enjoyed myself, it's one of those things where I really enjoyed myself, but then it's not one I want to watch again, you yeah. watch part and you lose interest, which, I mean, that's fine, I, you know, I'm sure other people love them. But I've seen the two Gail, Gail Gardot um, Wonder Woman movies. Uh, the first know. one was fantastic. Yeah. Until the final yeah. fight scene. Yeah. Uh, and then the second one was just blase. Well, I just I, I didn't care for the second one. Here's the reason I saw the second one. I thought the pandemic would have been over, mm. and the the company I worked for it was really bizarre. They um. Their fiscal year ended January the 31st. So I didn't take vacation the whole time the pandemic was going on. And I figured, well, by January, everything would have settled out. <laughs> but um, Little did we know. And the pandemic, even though it had relaxed, it was still going on. There was no van, you know, vaccination. So I told my wife, we can just, you know, we went to Bach Tower Gardens down and, you know, and we, um, Ocala has a drive-in movie theater. 
And the guy that owns it, I was reading, he says, as people know, I never close. He was open during Hurricane Irma. No, oh, jeez. And uh, which, you know, Ocala maybe was intense as it was here, but, you know, nevertheless, he was open. He never closes. So I told my wife, she's from the Philippines. She never heard of the drive-in. She thinks the drive-in movie theater is the greatest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. She couldn't it believe is. it. You know, it, it's, so any chance we have to go, we go to a drive-in. So we went, this is what kind of nerds we are. We went to Ocala, got a hotel, went to see the movies. I didn't know what he was showing, but they were showing Wonder Woman 84. So we got tickets and they had another movie after it, which I enjoyed quite a bit. She did too and never heard of it. Uh, it's about, I don't know, it was some kind of Earth space station that's supposed to be like the, the strategic defense initiative they called Star Wars, you know, to protect the Earth. Yeah control weather and something went wrong i never heard of the movie it was a little older but it was awesome but anyway we watched it i liked the wonder woman movie it was fine my wife liked it um i found the dvd for two bucks and bought it i never <laughs> watched it again <laughs> but i have it we saw the first aquaman movie um she wanted to see it she yeah. likes underwater it was fine we saw we saw the first ant-man movie yeah. No, we went to see it because Myrna wanted to see it. Yeah. She said, I want to see that. And that movie was fun. Yeah. That was a blast. You know, I was very skeptical skeptical about <clears throat> Ant-Man. I really, really was. I was just like, Paul Rudd? Huh? Like, really? This is going to be like goofy. And and it was. It was yeah. so goofy. But he, it was so fitting. I mean, I thought the character was done so well. Especially when you take like... You know, most of the Marvel movies are based off the Ultimate Universe. Mm. And in the Ultimate Universe, you know... Uh, well, granted, not talking Scott Lang, but Ant-Man in the Ultimate Universe was a real SOB. Really? You know? Oh, yeah. Abusive. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was a piece of crap. But what they did with Ant-Man in, in the Cinematic Universe, mm. I thought, was fun and weird and different. And, you know, mm. he, he became plucky comedy relief, you know? And honestly, I didn't mind Quantum uh, Quantum Mania that much. Is that the second one? Yeah, that's just, that. Uh, uh, that is the third one. Okay. Uh, oh, three. There's Ant Man, Ant Man and Wasp, uh, and then uh, Ant Man Quantum Mania. Oh. Um, yeah. Um, personally, I think I'm right there. I may be wrong. Wow. No, I, I think yeah. you are correct. But uh, you know, Quantum Mania was just. It was out there and different enough that it, you know, it it felt like them setting up for what was to come. Um, I mean, it had its failings in certain parts, but you know, overall, I I thought it was a good movie. You know, yeah. entertaining. You know, the Ant Man comics. That's the ones I knew. Henry Pym was Ant Man, and he became Giant Man, I think. And then later he became Yellow Jacket. Yep. Which, I don't know, I wasn't really... And that's the one where he had a... This is, again, calm. we're talking about a really weird comic. Uh, the Wasp, Janet, uh, Janet Van Dyne, was marrying the Yellow Jacket. And nobody knew who he was. Yeah. She was marrying him with a mask. He got married as Yellow Jacket. And the Avengers are like, well, what's going on here? But she said, well, I know what I'm doing. Turns out Yellow Jacket was Henry Pym all along. Nobody knew. Why would she marry... I don't know. It's just bizarre, but... 
basically he had a split personality. He was upset that I guess he wouldn't marry Janet, you know, Janet Van Dyne. Yep. And all of a sudden he said, well, so he became a different personality because he was crazy, I guess. And anyway, he was Yellow Jacket. Then at one point, I guess in the Avengers when George Prez was drawing it, Ant-Man came back. But he had a memory lapse. Um, didn't yeah. know who the Avengers were anymore. Yep. He was upset at Captain America because, you know, he didn't remember the time Captain America came back. And then I guess he became Yellow Jacket again. Well, then, it's two of my favorite issues. There's one of those Marvel, I can't remember the name of it, but like I said, I just mentioned there's Marvel Spotlight, there's Marvel Premiere. There were comic books that they would just try out different things. And they had two issues written by Roger Stern, drawn by John Byrne, and inked by Bob Layton, and it was Ant-Man. Mm -hmm. And that introduced Scott Lang. Scott Lang was a burglar, which is what they did in the movie. Right. And he was released from prison. His sister and her sister's husband, who was a really snide, cynical guy, were taking care of his daughter. His wife was gone. And um, they picked him up from prison, and he got a job working security, you know. And he was trying to put his life back. And then his daughter fell down ill. She had a bad heart. And she couldn't get a heart. And he was desperate, as any father would be. And he was trying to um, do it. And then he started robbing houses, even though he was trying to turn a new leaf. Turns out, he robbed Hank Pym's house and found the Ant-Man costume. Yep. So he took it and became Ant-Man. And it got really scary because, I don't know if it was Roxxon or what the name of the company was. It was one of those Marvel... Probably Roxxon. Yeah. But the guy that ran the company, I don't know what the condition happened, how it happened, but basically he was using hearts constantly. You know, they were always replacing hearts. And then it accelerated and he became this giant Hulk-like pink guy with no hair and a mutant-looking face. And um, anyway, that's, that's how that first issue ended. The second issue, I guess he burned through... He was burning through hearts. He was always in a hospital table. And the whole issue ended with him falling down dying because the doctor didn't have time to put the new heart in, so he left the old heart in, and the guy fought and wore it out. And then Yellow Jacket shows up. And is not the Yellow Jacket we always knew where he was unsure and having nervous breakdowns and stuff like Henry Pym. He was the, the stoic Marvel authority. And he said he saw Scott Lang steal the outfit, but he just followed him. Mm -hmm. He was really small to see what was happening. And the reason he didn't help him when all this stuff was going on was that big pink guy, when Scott Lang was calling ants, he just got the, the sprayer and sprayed water in the sink and sprayed all the ants away. They got the yellow jacket. But he did observe, and he says, I saw what you're doing. And... Like it would happen in real life, he said, I'll let you take this really expensive top secret <laughs> outfit with all my technology and gas, but I'll be watching you. And then Scott Lang was the Ant-Man. I never saw him again until Matt Fraction and Mike Allred was doing FF. And he was one of them, but by this time he's Dr. Scott Lang. And he was a genius. So I, don't, I didn't see this happening. But like I said, the Paul Rudd movie... 
they did follow the burglar thing. He did understand technology. All that was in there. Yeah. And they did put the yellow jacket in, although it wasn't another superhero. It was another corporate thing, just like Iron Man, where yep. he stole the technology, but nevertheless. Keeping trademarks alive, people. That's yeah. what we're about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's definitely what the movies are about. <laughs> but saying that, the comics are the same. Everything we talked about was keeping alive, but yet... We read them. I, oh, yeah. We can talk about stuff we read 30, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, and, I mean, it's like, it's just, you know, you can't you can't bag on it, put it down. Yep. All right. I want to talk about this one thing because I want to talk about it in person, and I'm not bringing these back anymore. This is Rain Like Hammers by Brandon Graham. We've talked about Brandon Graham because he did multiple warheads. This is another creator that I learned from my daughter uh, it's by Image Comics from Image Comics but um, she was in college when she got the first issue of Multiple Warheads and I was shocked when I saw it I've it looks like ideas and forms just flow out of this guy's pen like magic I love the colors um, turns out he's a big airtight garage Mobius fan which again yeah to I was me. about to say I, yeah. I can see already why you like this I feel very <laughs> Mobius-esque looking at these pages but when saying that he's not trying to I guess maybe he's trying to draw like Mobius but it's a completely different style it's, yeah you know but I can see the Mobius influence right. I don't think like I wouldn't say he's trying to copy Mobius but I can see a deep amount of Mobius influence oh, yeah. in this work. And when I, he has a blog, I don't think he really does the blog much anymore, but he was talking about, you remember that Star Wars Ewoks and Droids cartoon? Oh yeah. Which is really good. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> ah. That Droids cartoon, he grew up loving, and he said he found out that the people that did the Droids were massive airtight garage fans, and that cartoon had a lot in it. I actually never thought about it. As soon as I thought, yeah, why didn't I ever come to terms with that? Anyway, massive Mobius fan. Multiple Warheads. My daughter got the first issue up there. There's one time when we were doing the show, she went to Yancey Street and got the next two issues. She ended up completing it. And they've done a second Multiple Warheads. I've got them. Uh, he became one of my favorite creators. And, um... Anyway, this is the new one, Rain Like Hammers. So I got them at the store when they came out. It starts out with them. Um, it's two storylines. There's a city, and I guess everybody lives in cities, and they're all separate, and it's like a barren desert in between the cities. And this guy came from one city. He's new in another city working. And one thing, everything's extremely alien, but... It looks like a wonderful place to be, and some of the technology looks like it's alive. There are little creatures running around everywhere. But the guy, he's basically sitting at some kind of weird computer, and um, he gets off work, and he goes to these vending machines, and he gets his dinner. And they describe the dinner, and he's basically getting these little different shaped pouches, little bottles. They're all elaborately decorated. And they're basically saying how he saved his money to splurge, and he got some kind of a milk with his meal. Then he goes back to his domicile, and you know how everything's really crowded? Not in Brandon Graham's world. So he's in this massive, you know, unit, watching his favorite TV show while he's, you know, ate the stuff that he kind of splurged on that week. 
It's kind of interesting because he does talk about food, and the food is, the names are nothing you really know, but you can kind of taste them anyway. <laughs> well, there's another, he's a hired assassin, and he he's come to retrieve somebody, and he um, he dies. He crashes and dies, but he can take his mind and put it to, no, he doesn't die. He's got to get rid of the body. So he goes to some minion, some servant with, he's a big guy with a tail, and he's trying to hide his body somewhere while he does his mission. At one point, his body's destroyed and he's stuck in this, this other body. It's just stuff like that going all the way through it. And somehow he ends up with that guy I was just telling you about that had the job new in town. They go on this journey to this other city. The other city, basically... I don't know, I hate to say this, but it's like those Hunger Games. It's like a bunch of people that don't know who they are, mm-hmm. and they're in this competition. And it's a girl, and that's the one he's hired to retrieve. And when people, I guess when they get to a certain level and don't make it, they don't know who they are anymore, and they're they're recycled into it. It's weird and scary. But um, I'm not going to give away the ending, but I just absolutely love these. Now... My daughter, I got her the trade. She wanted it. And she came back and said she read it. What did you think of it? And I wish I would have wrote down what she said. Because in one sentence, she basically explained Brandon Graham's work. I can't say enough of it. He's one of my very favorite creators. He has a podcast with another creator called... I can't think of the name of it now. Um... But anyway, I'll, I'll have it on the blog. I highly recommend it, but they talk. Um, he's really interesting. But my daughter made a comment about his stuff is so alien and vague, and it's sometimes you don't know what you're reading. I, It's easy to read. It's just that it's easy to get lost in. <laughs> and it's just so alien you don't know. Yeah, but, I mean, I like, I'm, I'm sitting here going just flipping through pages to look at art and stuff and I'm I'm getting lost just like what what is going on it is, this is like there's so much happening but it again I'm just flipping through pages I'm not actually right. reading you know. <clears throat> well it, he like I said he tells you so much I'm just talking about food how many comics you read where they talk about the food everyday <laughs> food but in real life what do you think when I get off work I'm gonna I'm gonna eat this I'm gonna you know, maybe I'll have a snack. You know, you're always thinking things out. And, um, it's, I don't know, it's like, it's a world you don't know, but somebody's actually living in it, and it's believable. Multiple Warheads was the same way. What always amazed me was, Holly said she read that he was basing multiple warheads off Russia. Now, when I think of Russia, I always think Soviet Union and big gray gray cold buildings and gray uniform military uniforms and not much but multiple warheads i kind of see where maybe i've never been to russia but maybe it's got a lot of that stuff in there but it's his idea but the technology how people work and think it's a cross between buddhism surrealism and carlos castaneda (laughs) you know um Anyway, I, I absolutely love Brandon Graham. Highly recommend his work. I, I was telling Dallas about it, and he's done, there was a book, a really thick trade called um, K-1000, 
King City. It was like a phone book. Yeah, I noticed that on the back here, King City yeah. um, and multiple warheads. King City, I bought it for my daughter, and I wanted to get one. Dallas bought it, and Dallas gave it to me for my birthday. I said, isn't this the one you got? And he says, yeah, he didn't like it. Uh, King City was the, the, it wasn't intended, but it was the prequel to uh, Multiple Warheads. Or Multiple Warheads was a continuation, but it was black and white with shades. And um, Multiple Warheads, you're following a few different characters. Two of the characters, it's a, a, a young man and a woman in a car. He's a mechanic. But he's going through this process to becoming a wolf. And he starts getting ears and he gets a tail. But every time some technology breaks down, he can talk to it and work on it. And it's like a cross between mechanics and spirituality. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets them going. And then in Multiple Warheads 2, it's still carrying on, but he's starting to be more wolf-like. And she's talking to him. They're a couple. And then finally, at the very end of the story, he becomes a real wolf. He's a dog. And she goes, oh, the transformation is complete. And they're in the car, and he woofs. And they drive off. I'm thinking, so basically you turn your boyfriend into a wolf and he's okay with it. It's odd. <laughs> and uh, there was some assassin that I could never tell if it was male or female, but it was awesome. It had a motorcycle. And never resolved that storyline, but the, all the other ones did. Um, but they're traveling, floating whales in the sky, balloons everywhere, creature technology. Um, if you like Dr. Seuss... You're gonna love Brandon Graham. Yeah, I mean he's he has a huge writing history, including uh, Prophet. Um, Prophet was, um, I think, was it one of Liefeld's characters. Really? Really? Yeah. Who was Prophet? Prophet. Prophet was an old Image character, if I recall correctly. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember, but. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, this guy's got a huge, huge back catalog of of, yeah. of stuff. I mean, uh, rain like hammers. Um, oh, did he work on the Wicked and the Divine? What is that? Uh, it's a comic. I've got a couple issues of it uh, sitting waiting for me to read. Intr yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know this guy's work. I've seen his work before with Wicked and Divine. Yeah. He, um, I know on the podcast, which I'm trying to find the name of it, him and the other artist, it worked in porn. No, really? Well, you know, they, you, you know, you got to make money, and they don't seem to have any qualms about it. Sometimes they kind of make fun of it, but they like it. Um, I was surprised, just talking about Brandon Graham, I was, for some reason, I was thinking he was a graffiti artist. I think maybe he did, and it kind of reflects in this. But his drawings, like I said, are just absolutely beautiful. But I was thinking of some kind of a hipster-looking guy. And um, I was actually expecting Rook. <laughs> but, uh, well, I mean, he is my age, so... <laughs> but when I say this, and I, I say this all respect, he looks like he looks like somebody's boring dad. Sorry, He kind of does. <laughs> and, uh, but when I told Holly that, she looked him up because he's got a neck tattoo, so... I guess somebody's boring dad, if you just looked at it, when you got to know him, you're thinking, well, this guy is really a hipster. But he has, um, 
a newsletter that I subscribe. I don't, as you heard on the show, I don't like constant things coming to my mailbox. His is different. I subscribe to the newsletter. His girlfriend basically writes it. His girlfriend's a trans woman. Oh, really? Yeah, and um, they mentioned it, and I mentioned this to my daughter. Okay. She, all right, all right, I'm just going to say this real quick. Okay. Yes, this photograph makes him look like somebody's boring dad. Yeah, yeah. And then as soon as you go up and you come across this one, it's a side profile. Uh, yeah. Now he looks like somebody I'm like, okay, I want to hang out with this guy. And he drew the elephant. I yeah. love him. I, I enjoy listening to the podcast. I'm a massive fan of this guy. And um, I love his work. And he's interesting to hear. And he, he's a quiet person. But my daughter's explaining to me about trans. He said, well, it doesn't really mean that maybe it was a woman or a man becoming a woman. It could have been a woman that just... I, I, it's stuff I don't quite understand, but... Could be non-binary. Yeah, it's what know, she all said. All kinds of possibilities. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it, possibilities. a lot of possibilities. But on one of the newsletters, she was talking about... I guess Brandon is harassed a lot because he's with a trans woman. That's stupid. Yeah, it is. I agree. But she said Brandon just takes it in stride. And um, you remember, I don't, I don't know if you ever remember, Robin Williams did a movie called The World According to Garp. Yeah, I remember it. I don't remember It's the movie kind of a forgotten movie, but it's, it was a book by John Irving. Really good. The movie was good. It was one of those rare things where they were both their own animal, and they both had things that the other one didn't. But in the movie, as in the book, there was an NFL football player that made the transition and became a woman. In the movie, John Lithgow played her. <laughs> and it was the funniest thing because I didn't know who John Lithgow was at the time, but I thought it was a woman and I realized it was a man. He really looked like a big woman. And in the end of the book, he's with uh, Garp's agent. Art Garp is a writer. And the agent was in bed and he goes, I used to watch you play football. And I'm thinking, okay, so they didn't look past the fact it was a man that became a woman. I, I would have a problem, you know. I mean, I know it's a woman, but it would be hard for me to make that transition. And then <clears throat> Garp's son, at the end of the book, he's with a trans woman. You know, he's an artist, and she basically, somebody thinks I think he, she'd be good for you. He knew it was a woman, but he grew up around the dad and the John Lithgow character. He was okay with it. And Promethea, that comic that Dallas and I spoke of, they do cover that. And I told Dallas, it's one thing they brought up in the book. It's it's a woman, it's somebody that it comes and loves me, adds to me. But the one character realizes at one point in his life he couldn't get past and he wasted all this time. <clears throat> Alan Moore covers all that. And I was just telling Dallas, I, I see where he comes from, I see the logic, but I don't think I could do it. And then Dallas just said, I think that was our upbringing. Nevertheless, Brandon Graham doesn't see it that way, he moved on. I take my hat off to him. Hey, it's, you know, you love who you love, man, you know, yeah, it, yeah. it's as simple as that. And, you know, I, I hang around with plenty of trans people, I mean, I've got, I've got, a whole D and D table full, uh, full of them. Full really? of trans people. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. One of my D and D tables. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, it's a majority trans, and I mean, they're just like anybody else, you know. And I, you know, I enjoy being <clears throat> around people who can 
authentically be themselves. I, that know? one I and do that, agree with. That's one of the things that I found with the trans community. When when you find your people, you can you can just be who you are with them. Hmm. You know, and uh, you know it's it, it's awesome. It really is. You know, I get, I get a huge kick at. It. I call I call my D and D kids because they're all they're all younger than my own kid. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but they're it's just so much fun to see them see them be exactly who they want to be at the table. You know, yeah. And and when we're not at the table, you know, so I I enjoy the heck out of them. So see the it, difference is I always say this when I I go to anything Rook has even the comic store. I feel like I'm in Blade Runner and I'm the only non-replicant there, <laughs> you know. So, you hey, know, you know, we're but uh, the, there's one there's one rule in this house: <laughs> be who you really yeah. are. You know, one hundred percent. I'm like somebody's dad without a neck tattoo. <laughs> but a uh, hundred years podcast is the name of it. I, I was thinking that, but I was thinking I was confusing with something else. But I highly recommend it. It'll be linked to the show. Anyway, Brandon Graham is not protecting trademarks, and he's absolutely wonderful in many different ways. So, anything else? That's it, baby. That's all, right. all I got. This is an extra long show. Man, it's it's nice to do. It's nice to sit dull kind. and chat. Yeah. yeah, man. And see see in person instead of um, electronic, even though that is amazing, too. But, all right. Uh, we're always looking for fake comic book covers to use on the Facebook page and the Facebook group to announce a new episode. If you'd like to draw, we'd like you to send us one through the contact page. Um, if you have any kind of recorded recordings, music-wise, we're always looking for a musical spotlight. Um, please send something in. Don't be shy. Again, through the contact page, as long as it's yours. Uh, also on the sidebar of the blog, we sell t-shirts. It's not to make us rich. It's just to help us with the hosting fees. We have three different versions. Listen to the show. Wear the shirt. Everybody, check out our website, bunchofdorks.com. Click on the Cyclops. You're going to find examples of everything we talked about on this show and many more. But until next time, everybody, read, read more comics! comics.